The big idea for our program is that leadership is a moral craft. Mm. And so I hope our students assume that responsibility for the moral purpose of leading schools and caring for students. Hi, I'm Kimberly McCorkle, Provost and Senior Vice President for Academics at East Tennessee State University. From the moment I arrived on this campus, I have been inspired by our faculty, their passion for what they do, their belief in the power of higher education, and the way they are transforming the lives of their students. This podcast is dedicated to them, our incredible faculty at ETSU. Hear their stories as they tell us why I teach. In this episode, we will talk with Dr. Virginia Foley, a professor in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Analysis in the Clemmer College. Dr. Foley joined ETSU in 2007 after serving many years as a K-12 educator and administrator in Georgia. She is a past president of the ETSU Faculty Senate. As a faculty member, she has chaired over 100 doctoral dissertations. She also serves as a faculty trustee on the ETSU Board of Trustees. Enjoy the show. Dr. Foley, welcome to our show. I start every podcast with the same question for each guest. Take me back to your first day of teaching at ETSU as a faculty member. Looking back on that day, what is one piece of advice that you would have given yourself? I think the biggest piece of advice I would give myself is that you have time. Most of my students that I teach, I will work with over two years. And so I don't have to hurry up and try to dump everything in them. I have time to watch them grow. I have time to grow myself. Starting here, I frequently said I was fluent in K-12. Yeah. I understood the K-12 education world very well, but I was learning mm-hmm. higher ed. And so I had to give myself time with that also. Oh, that's wonderful. So you spent several years as a public school counselor and a principal in Georgia before you began a second career as a faculty member here at ETSU. Talk about how your previous professional experiences have shaped your career in higher education. I was a school counselor for 20 years, and Mm -hmm. I think that those experiences Mm -hmm. and the training I received as a school counselor prepared me well for leadership roles. Um, because you, it's about building relationships and it's about listening, deep listening. As a school principal, I would not have been able to do the job I'm in currently mm-hmm. if I hadn't served in that capacity because everyone who teaches in our licensure program mm-hmm. either is or has been a school principal. So we're preparing school principals. We want people who are teaching them to have walked that walk. I retired from the central office And that probably was the best preparation for my career here Mm -hmm. because it was things I learned while there that really shaped the way I teach. We were bringing some work into our district and training our teachers in understanding by design. It's a framework by Grant Wiggins and Jay McTighe. And had I not had that framework, Mm -hmm. I would not be teaching the way I'm teaching now. So it's identifying what are the big ideas you want students to walk away with and how are you going to know what evidence do they have to provide you that they understand those concepts bone deep. And then 
how do you structure experiences to give them that deep understanding? Mm-hmm. Had I not had that opportunity and that training before I came, my students probably would have been reading a lot, writing a lot, mm-hmm. taking tests. Right. And as it is now, the experiences are structured very differently. Yeah. They, they've transformed the way you teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Most of your students are current teachers, as you mentioned. What is it like for those teachers to return to the classroom as students? The hardest thing for them Mm -hmm. is to get used to the fact that grades are not what drives things. They're teachers, and they are always used to being successful and getting good grades, so they want to know, am I doing what you want me to do? That's Uh a big adjustment for them. Because I tell them it's about the learning and we're not going to worry about the grade. Mm -hmm. And that if they um, do what they need to do and they're learning and they're giving me evidence of learning, they'll get the A that they want. But other than that, they get a lot of detailed feedback. And if they're not on track for that grade, then I'll let them know and let them know what they need to do to get the grade they want to get. So it's that huge adjustment. But it's also then writing your first paper again after Mm -hmm. you've been out of school for a while and giving your first presentation to your peers after you've been out of school for a while. So there's some adjustment there. But we do a lot of developing and laughing, and we are all learning together. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting when professionals become students again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because your students are working full-time, how do you structure your program? Is it online, in-person, a mix of those? Ours is a mix of both. When I first came to ETSU, we were teaching nights. So I taught on Monday night from 4, supposed to be from 4 to 10. It was technically about 4.30 to 9.30 mm-hmm. after they'd worked all day. And then wow. I taught on Wednesday night, same time. Frame. Yeah. After I'd been here a couple of years, we switched to Saturday classes. Mm-hmm. And so when we meet face-to-face, we meet on Saturdays from 9 to about 3.30 We go to lunch as a group, so we're eating together. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's an extension of conversations that happen that morning. Sometimes it's just getting to know each other. Breaking bread Mm -hmm. is a great way of building relationships. And so that's how we structure our Saturday. An unintended benefit of the change to Saturday classes was that we didn't have to be regionally based anymore. We Mm -hmm. were using a cohort model, but people could come from everywhere. So we weren't driving to... Uh, Morristown for a cohort and people coming from that area. In our first cohort on Saturdays, we did have people from Morristown, from Maryville, from Asheville, mm-hmm. and then from our Tri-Cities area. But now with our cohorts, we have, it's not uncommon for me to have people from Nashville, mm-hmm. from Memphis, yeah. from Jackson. So they're coming from everywhere, and that just makes the cohort experience that much richer because Mm -hmm. of the diverse perspectives and experiences that people bring. That's great. And I would imagine that the Saturday format is Mm -hmm. in some ways preferable to the the weekly meetings. It is. It is so much better. And we don't we meet we don't meet every Saturday. You know, we have a certain number of month and, and some of that's dictated by the size of the cohort. But I mean, certain number of semester. But the um the Saturday also helps because they're not fatigued after right. having taught all day long. We get there with energy, mm-hmm. and then I, th- I think we all leave tired, <laughs> yes. but it does make a difference. And then the remainder of the coursework is online, but mm-hmm. it's, it's structured pretty tightly with weekly discussions, and then there are papers, and there are presentations that mm-hmm. are both virtual and 
face-to-face. And I would imagine that part of the benefit is that they're building those professional relationships with each other, with you, but with others. With each other Mm -hmm. also, yes. I think our students will tell you that the internship that they get in our program Mm -hmm. and the cohort structure are two of the biggest things they take away. And lunch. Mm -hmm. One of their favorite things is lunch on Saturdays. So I I I can't take credit for much of any of that, (laughs) but that's what their takeaways are. Lunch always makes things better, Mm -hmm. yeah. Tell me a little bit about the internship model then that you mentioned. Okay. We have the most extensive internship in the state. Mm-hmm. We have a minimum requirement of 540 hours, and 100 of that is at elementary, 100 at middle school, 100 at high school, 100 mm-hmm. at central office, and then 140 that are split between community and diversity, which mm-hmm. a minimum of 40 in one of those. But oh. students could get 70 and 70. They could get 90 and 50. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But most of our students finish the internship with over 700 hours. We tell them don't stop counting Mm -hmm. because when you're interviewing for jobs and you say, well, my internship requirement was 540, but I was able to get 700 hours. And the internships experience are documented. They're aligned to standards. If you're a a student in Tennessee, Mm -hmm. they're aligned to our Tennessee instructional leader standards. If you're a student from another state, then we're aligned to the professional standards for education educational leaders, which are national standards, and that's what our licensure exam is based on. So everybody gets exposure to those standards also. So students are getting a a very rich internship experience. They Mm -hmm. have mentors that they they identify. Our requirement for their mentors are that they have to either be or have been a school principal. Mm, Right. And um, then we have an internship supervisor who makes regular visits with the interns and their mentors. That's great. And every student has to experience every level. Yes. So every, and elementary. Yeah. They do have to experience every level mm-hmm. because, and every now and then you have somebody that tries to talk you out of it. Well, I know I'm never going to be an elementary principal because elementary children give me hives. Mm-hmm. So can I do all of my work <laughs> in high school? And right. we say no, because your license is K-12. Right. And one of the people who begged for no elementary, her first principalship was in a K-8 school. Mm -hmm. Um, Another person who was an early childhood person, Mm -hmm. his first principalship was an assist, well, his first assistantship was at a high school, and he became a K-8 principal, and now he's a high school principal. So, yeah, they need the range. Is it true that middle school principalship is the hardest, or is that just a myth? If you love middle school children, uh-huh. students, it's not hard. And yeah. that was where my the majority of my principalship was, Is that was right? in middle school. Yeah. And I love those kids, that mm-hmm. age kid. If you don't like them, it can be really hard mm-hmm. because they are just all over the place. Yeah. One minute they're a kid, the next minute they think they're 28. Yeah. And they're trying on different identities. Yes. I mean, almost daily. Right. So it's just trying them trying to figure out where they belong as they separate from family and form their own groups. Yes. And if you, I think my counseling experience prepared me well for that principalship It sounds experience. like it, yeah. Interesting uh, time for development for yes. kids at that age. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I noticed under your current research on your bio page that you noted that your research interests are everything that my dissertation students are currently researching. Talk about your process of mentoring doctoral students and some of the most interesting things that you've learned from your students. Well, when it comes to mentoring doctoral students in dissertations, one of the most important things about teaching is know who you're teaching. Yeah. 
And so different students need different approaches and different things. Mm -hmm. Some are just ready to get it done. They love this part of the education and they are just marching on. And some need that all of a sudden they feel abandoned. It's like they've had coursework, they've had deadlines, and then they yeah. all of a, they're kind of on their own. Right. So I've learned to help build in deadlines, especially for those who need it. Mm-hmm. And if I say, this is due to me then, yeah. some of those students will not miss a deadline. Some of them just, well, I know it's a guideline, so they just keep going on. So mm-hmm. I nag. I cheer, <laughs> I encourage, I celebrate. Uh-huh. So it's just different approaches with different students. Yeah. But some of the topics that have been really fascinating, I had within the same time frame, within two or three years, I think I had four different students that did their dissertations research on freshman academies mm. because that was a, a movement yes. for a period of time. And so they wanted to know what kind of impact it might be making and Mm -hmm. was it making a difference in student success was it making a difference in how students and they approached it all from different perspectives and they were working with different populations Mm -hmm. so that was a that was a thing for a while and then those have kind of gone by the wayside Mm -hmm. I had a student one of the most powerful dissertations I guess that made a an impact on me was a student who was looking at female leadership Mm -hmm. And a serendipitous discovery was the role of mentors. Mm. And yeah. she uncovered this because she was in North Carolina and she was using snowball sampling. Mm-hmm. She uncovered this network of women who were all mentored by the same woman. Is that right? And it was a total surprise. Yeah. But this woman knew that females needed mentors. And so she started a book group. And yep. then out of that book group, then mentored people and they some of them didn't know each other because they hadn't been mentored at the same time but it was pretty fascinating but that role of mentors especially for female leaders was pretty powerful I had a student who I mean we think we're in a rural area but I had Mm -hmm. a student who uh, was studying teacher development in Malawi And so she was looking at, she interviewed people at the government level, but Mm -hmm. then she was going out into schools and comparing urban and rural. And the definition of rural in Malawi was if you had to walk more than two and a half hours from the town center to get to the school, Mm -hmm. that was a rural school. So just a totally different picture of rural for us. Fascinating. And one of my students really looked at money and Mm. um, per pupil expenditure, and then its relation to student success on typical measures. Mm -hmm. And basically what he found was it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so these schools that have low per pupil expenditure but are very successful, we all need to be go find out what they're doing. So, I love the range of topics. Mm -hmm. How do you help students sometimes who are struggling in identifying a topic? I tell them that by their beginning of their fourth semester Mm -hmm. they really need to be firm and so we we've talked throughout on things they're interested in Mm -hmm. but they really need to get clear because they need to spend the rest of the time starting to build on that and then the recently our the p12 part of our department has really built in some checkpoints along the way Mm -hmm. so some developmental pieces in building up building your dissertation and those are helping some. And even with all that, you have students who change their mind. Sure. And then that just slows them down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I 
believe that you should, if you're doing something that you're interested in that matters to you, it makes the work a whole lot easier. Yes. Yeah. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're now on your second term as the faculty trustee for the ETSU Board of Trustees. Will you tell us about your role on the board? I have thoroughly enjoyed the privilege of serving on the board. And I didn't mean to run for two, a second term, but mm. the pandemic occurred. Yeah, I was six months into my first year of my first term, mm-hmm. and then we all went remote, and then our meetings were remote. I just really felt like that I could learn more mm-hmm. if I were able to serve a second term, and so I ran again and was elected. I think my job on the board is to first read thoroughly ever all the board materials mm-hmm. even not even on the committees I'm not serving on mm-hmm. because I feel obligated to faculty that if there's something that might impact faculty I just need to point that out to mm-hmm. the board I mean that might have a surprising unintended impact on faculty everything the board does impacts faculty so that's one of the things that I, I do is, is just read really thoroughly everything and I attend every committee meeting and I'm so thankful that we've rescheduled our committee meetings mm-hmm. so that I don't have, there's not two meeting at the same time. Right. That does allow me to meet all, attend all the meetings. The people that are on, the other trustees are so committed mm-hmm. to the success at ETSU yeah. and we're all pulling in the same direction. And for the most part, agendas are, how do we make ETSU strong and better? I meet about monthly by Zoom with other faculty trustees mm-hmm. um, across the state. Do you? Mm-hmm. And that's not true everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I just keep my mouth shut because it sounds like I'm bragging. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I do feel like our, our trustees are committed to ETSU. And so my role on the board really is to talk about just every now and then say, but this is how this rolled out because mm-hmm. of information I have that they don't have because they don't live here. Mm-hmm. I don't mean live in this community. I mean live at ETSU. Right. And so I feel like as a trustee, I can point those things out. I can give them a historical perspective from somebody who's lived some of the work. And then just talk about, okay, if this, then this. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they have the information they need from a faculty perspective before they're going on. My bottom line, my role as a trustee is the same mm-hmm. as anybody else's, is to make decisions for the university that make the university stronger and better. Mm. And so I don't have a faculty agenda on right. voting. I have an ETSU agenda on voting. So that's, I, like I said, I've really enjoyed getting to know the other trustees and mm-hmm. seeing the level of their commitment. Can you share with us maybe one of the most rewarding experiences you've had in serving as the faculty trustee? Is there something that stands out from your almost two years on service? There are many things that serve out that stand out. I think, well, I always like to welcome faculty back mm-hmm. at convocation. I love the new ceremony mm-hmm. for tenure and promotion and right. being able to participate in that. Mm-hmm. I think the heroes ceremony that we had last year um, that honored the people who just stepped up during the initial stages of the pandemic and yeah. just made such a huge difference and mm-hmm. being able to kind of list the people that kept us going and mm-hmm. went above and beyond. That was probably the most moving 
experience yeah. that I've had. It's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service as a faculty member on the board. And it, as you've described the role, it's so important to have a strong faculty voice on the board. Yeah. Finally, what impact do you hope that you have made on your students? The big idea for our program is that leadership is a moral craft. Mm. And so I hope our students assume that responsibility for the moral purpose of leading schools and caring for students. You cannot delegate responsibility for that moral purpose. Mm -hmm. You can delegate other aspects of the job. Somebody can build your schedule, master schedule. You have a bookkeeper probably helping you with budget. One of my biggest struggles when I first was a principal was doing the lunch schedule. But you know, there are people <laughs> who can do those things for you, but mm -hmm. not keeping the focus on the vision mm -hmm. and moving the school in that direction. Thank you, Virginia. From your work in the classroom to your service on the ETSU Board of Trustees, your work is truly making a difference in the lives of our students. I appreciate all you do on the board, on committees, and in the classroom so that ETSU can continue its mission to improve the quality of life for the region and beyond. Thanks for listening to Why I Teach. For more information on Dr. Foley, the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Analysis, or this podcast series, visit the ETSU Provost website at etsu.edu provost. You can follow me on Twitter at ETSU Provost. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to Why I Teach wherever you listen to podcasts.